Tips from Trestle is brought to you by The Belter Companies, Navigator Group Purchasing, and E-Menu Choice Point of Sale. Welcome to Tips from Trestle. This podcast is dedicated to discussing the senior living industry with a unique focus on food, hospitality, and leadership. I'm your host, Aaron Fish. As a 25-year veteran of the hospitality industry, I've focused my work on creating exceptional experiences for the customers we serve. My goal for this podcast? Educate, inform, and inspire leaders in senior living to bring food and hospitality to the front of mind in our industry. Let's bring the innovative and passionate spirit of hospitality to everything that we do. For the residents, families, guests, and employees we serve, each and every day. So what are we waiting for? Let's get to it. Erin Thompson is a 20-year professional inside the senior living industry with her main focus being assisted living and memory care. She started her career as a volunteer and worked her way to becoming an executive director by age 28. She has a passion for serving the residents and the family members inside her communities, and she has been able to use that passion to lead each community to high occupancy and peak performing teams. Erin's entire career has been dedicated to struggling communities and creating a culture of teamwork, hard work, and success through motivation and fun. Erin's new passion project is Aspire for More with Erin, and it is a company created to educate, equip, and empower the families caring for elderly loved ones but also to serve the leadership teams inside the senior living industry. Aspire for More with Aaron is a group and individual leadership development company that focuses on mindset, motivation, and momentum. Aspire for More with Aaron's main mission is to fill in the gaps of training and development for current and future professionals so the industry can create, hire, and retain great leaders. Aaron, thanks for joining me today on Tips from Trestle. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. So you are the first executive director I've had on my podcast. And so we're going to deep dive into that aspect of it. But first, I want to know how you got into senior living, right? What I have learned is nobody that that has been in the industry for a a long while just kind of said, I'm going to go work in senior living. We kind of all seem to have stumbled into it in a good way. And so I'm curious to hear your story. Well, mine started in college. I needed some volunteer hours. And at the same time, I needed volunteer hours. My grandparents were kind of needing some help. My grandmother was going into the hospital to have surgery and my grandfather needed a respite stay. And so I took it upon myself to find a place for him to stay while my grandma was in um, in the hospital. We call her Monty, so I need to refer to her as Monty. But um we, so I found, I went and toured different communities. And when I walked into um, a particular community, I felt at home and I was like, oh my God, what is this place? You know? <laughs> um, and I did my volunteer hours there and just fell in love. And my grandfather actually wasn't even able to stay at the respite stay. He just started his process into the end of his life journey. And took care of him. And then after that continued at that community. And then they offered me a part-time concierge job and then a 
full-time concierge job. And then um, after I graduated college, I went on to be a sales and marketing director at another community. And my dream job was to be at that first community as a sales and marketing director. And I did it. And then a year later, I was the executive director. So yeah, that's the story. I, doesn't surprise me one bit, you know, it get, it, there's always some sort of either family tie or kind of this is, I, I, I stumbled across it and found that this was something I was passionate about. And so um, I love that your, your grandparents were involved in that. And so um, I, I want to kind of dig in a little bit on your background as an executive director, right? And, you know, uh, we've talked to a lot of different people about food and hospitality, uh, but I'm curious the perspective of an executive director, um, you know, not necessarily having a background in, with food or hospitality. And so uh, one of the things I'm curious about is as an executive director, what would you look for as you were hiring and staffing up your team uh, in the kitchens and the dining rooms in your communities? Today, I wanna to tell you about one of Trestle's senior living partners, Elder. Belter is a food service design, equipment, and supply company that has been providing expert guidance to the food and beverage industry for nearly a century. A strategic partner to the most successful food service operations in the country, Belter provides support in kitchen and bar design, equipment procurement and install, and supplies. Their team of senior living food service experts have experience across the continuum of care. From independent living to skilled nursing and CCRCs, Elter specializes in right-sizing new facilities, modernizing remodels, and providing the right food service equipment and supplies. At Belter, they are committed to creating memorable experiences for their customers and their guests. With their top-notch team and a global network of quality supplier partners, their customer-focused approach is built on a foundation of collaboration and decades of industry experience. So thank you for considering Belter for all of your food service needs. Well, I like to I like to say that cooking is an art form. I think I learned that through the years that they're very artistic, creative people. And I also learned through trial and error how artistic and creative people can be. And mm -hmm. so I wanted to make sure that people that I hired had that artistic and creative flair. Because if they didn't, then they wouldn't work in, in a setting that really wants you to have that artistic flair. We want you to go out and show everybody what you got, to make that bananas foster in the dining room or to go out and be happy that you're wearing your hat and, and go and speak to the residents. So I certainly had my fair share of, nope, that's not going to work and that kind of thing. And so you learn through the trial and the error that Emotional resiliency is number one. Um, and then number two would be, do you want to display your talents to a crowd that's here all the time? They want to see what you have to offer. And do you want that? And if you don't want that, if there's somebody else on your team, are you okay with that person doing it? And I also think that leadership is required inside the culinary team um, and they probably need more leadership than what people think they do, because yeah. most cooks are creative and passionate people, too. And they yeah. they can go off on a tangent. So for sure. You know, it's funny you brought up the, the resiliency part. Right. You know, a lot of people that are in the hospitality industry that if they come into senior living for the first time, 
you know, it's a very, I talk about transactional versus relational kind of how you handle things, you know, and hospitality outside of what we do is very transactional, but what we do is more relational. And so having that resident who is constantly like nitpicking what you're doing and saying, oh, well, I would do it this way, or I was a cook and that's not how I would make it, um, obviously can wear on a person. And so when you're talking about creating resiliency or looking for resiliency in those people, how do you do that? Especially sitting from that, that executive director's seat and looking at the community as a whole. A Navigator is the largest full service GPO that exclusively focuses on the senior living community. And what that means is we provide products and services that help our members provide a great environment for their residents such as like MRO, hospitality equipment, food, business products, as well as technology solutions. We actually surround our members with a level of support unmatched in the industry. What I have always done is I try to think that behaviors are really just forms of communication. And so I never look at what the resident is or how the resident is talking to me or taking it as a personal insult. And I've trained all my managers to do the same. So if we know that there is a resident who's going to complain about every meal, that is a pattern. And if we have literally tried everything that this resident has said, then there's nothing more than we can do, but do our best for her or him. Right. Cause I have yeah. had both. Um, it's a consistent thing. If we don't do anything to try to solve his problems, then that's our fault. But if we listen and we do, and it's not good enough, and we listen and we do, and we listen and we do, we've identified a pattern. And then we have to really look at, is this controllable? Is this controllable? And we've controlled what we could control. And now we're just gonna listen to him because that's, or her, listen to the resident because that is what they want us to do. Because ultimately that is what they want us to do. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier. I think one of the things that you mentioned was sometimes the the resident is looking not necessarily at food and that the food is really the problem, right? It's the easy, like, touch point. It's the very convenient touch point of, well, I don't like this and I don't like that. And food is three times a day. And so it becomes... Uh, kind of the scapegoat for other things that maybe they're dealing with. And so um, I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit more about how you handled that situation, especially when you think about the chef or, or the direct dining director who's getting beat up by that resident, maybe not being aware of that. Yes. So one thing is, is that we have a captive audience. We have residents who are there three meals a day, seven days a week, potentially 365 days a year. So that comes with its own set of problems. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing is that they want to control what they can control. And they can't control the needs that they have physically or the needs that they have mentally, but they can control whether or not they like this meal. That's the second thing. The third thing is sometimes they're just mean and it's <laughs> nothing that I can do or that you've done. Right. It's nah. just, it, it's just the way they are. And so if I have insight to that resident, 
and I have seen a pattern, then I communicate that pattern to the culinary team. But I also think that the servers will sometimes do things that will make a resident upset. And if the mm-hmm. servers can work from a proactive standpoint, like Mrs. Thompson needs her meat cut up or Mrs. Thompson likes her sauerkraut with her hot dog to come on the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, those tiny details matter. And if the servers miss those details, then the cooks will kind of get the brunt of that. And the more we can make the dining room a very personalized um, experience, the better the all around experience will be. And behaviors sometimes are just forms of communication and they just are attention seeking. And so once you eliminated all those other Mm. things then show a little love and they're probably going to be okay. I once had a resident who wanted six grapes. Six grapes. Six grapes. (laughs) She didn't want seven. She didn't want five. And if we gave her five, she would ask for six. If we gave her eight, she would say that that's too much. And so we had a choice to really resent that behavior Mm -hmm. or just give her six grapes. Yeah. We gave her six grapes. Yeah, no, you know, and it's interesting that story kind of in and of itself kind of points to what you were talking about of they want to have control where they can have control, right? Because I think a lot of times that piece gets overlooked where it's, um, especially when you think about like assisted living or memory care, right? They're, they're there not because they necessarily want to be there. They're almost sometimes there they because they need the additional support being at home isn't a solution and so now they're they've lost a lot of that control right and so they're trying to gain it back and food is a very easy way to do that and so um so uh, kind of let's talk a little bit about how an executive director can support their team with understanding this like how do you go about like bringing them on? How do you get them to be more acclimated to senior living and and working in a community? Um, What's been your experiences with that as an executive director? I really hone in in on, let's be creative. What do you like to do? What's your favorite dish? What's your favorite thing to bake? Do you prefer to bake? Do you like, you know, the, the meal type food? Do you like the hot food? So once I know what they like best, then we focus in on that. We focus in on what they like and we market to the residents, guess what we're about to get, you know, and and try to invite them into lifestyles and and really create that connection because without that connection, residents will, can be kind of harsh. But if you have that connection and there's that personal kind of touch that you do, they won't be as harsh. And I feel also that sometimes culinary will kind of isolate themselves, uh, whether it's the director or whether it's the servers or even cooks in the kitchen and they don't come to meetings and they don't get that pat on the back that they really deserve. So I I have always forced them to come to the meetings mm-hmm. lovingly and saying, you wanna be <laughs> here. And then when the dining room is a unanimous, like this is this meal was so good, I make the cook come out mm-hmm. And get a round of applause. Yeah, I think it's really important, uh, especially, you know, I, I think about chefs. I, you know, I'm not a chef by trade, but I've worked with plenty of them in my in many years. And, you know, there's 
a tendency sometimes for chefs to, I'm going to be in the kitchen. I've got to be in there. I've got to be in the food. I'm in the kitchen. I'm making sure meals are happening. And so they do kind of tend to be more behind the scenes in that setting, especially if maybe they've been burnt once or twice by going out and residents kind of just uh, grilling them. And I think one of the other things that uh, I think executive directors can really focus in on is getting the, those, those chefs and, and food and beverage leaders to understand the more visible they are, the more those things tend to go away. The complaints will become less and less if you're doing things the right way, because a lot of it is just the visibility of that person within the community as a part of the team. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, what you're doing now and how that translates over into kind of building teams and communities and, and how you're supporting that growth and development now with your new venture. So I created a company called Aspire for More with Aaron, and it's kind of just a dream that's been realized. It's almost like I didn't even realize that I had this dream, <laughs> but um, I feel as if there are gaps missing in leadership development and in training and really just navigating the nuances of, a, of an assisted living or memory care community, because I was promoted at 28 and I had a great support team, but throughout the, the 20 year history that I have, that support has hit and miss, hit and miss. And there are lots of things that I had to learn by trial by fire and patients of different companies. And I feel like we all need that support. When I had a good support system, I was a top performer. But I also needed somebody who I could pick up the phone and just say what I needed to say and then say, I'll call you back when it's over and I'll let you know how it went. And it's a safe space. It's a neutral space. And mm. we don't have that in assisted living. And so I think mindset matters too. And when we are faced with everything that we've had to face since 2020, um, we don't necessarily take care of ourselves. I know I didn't. So I believe if we can hold space for each other and, and motivate each other and come together as groups and just um, have that space together, that's kind of my goal to fill in the gaps, to be that emotional support for somebody because there's no one really out there who has executive director's experience speaking to executive directors. Like, I got you, we've got this, we can do this without judging their performance too. Yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I was talking with another uh, sales and marketing professional in the industry about this a little bit. And what we find, and I think you're speaking to this, is that it's, hey, we have this kind of symptom of, we see a high performer, we need a high performer in a new role or a different role. So they get promoted and it's kind of that age old management fallacy of somebody was a rock star in their previous position. So now that we put them in this new management role, they're just going to knock it out of the park, you know, but what we don't necessarily always do is identify, you know, are they capable? Do they have the skill set, which is different? Than what they were doing before. Yeah. And so um, we wind up putting people in positions to maybe fail. And so how do you, with what you're doing now, how do you come along and, you know, fill those gaps for those people that are the A players that are now in a, a role that maybe they're not 100% ready for or 100% have the skill set for? How can you fill in those gaps and support them? 
So I've created kind of like a roadmap. Um, I have one for mindset and then I have one kind of for best practices and departments. I feel like I was a sales and marketing director that was promoted to an executive director. I had zero management experience, none. And I was in a community that I started at when I was 19. (laughs) So I was managing people (laughs) that saw me as a teenager still, you know, so that was a bit of a struggle. Um, And so I think there's things that we can go through like honest talking like you would need to say to me this is what I need help on I don't understand this concept and then we're going to walk through that concept in each department mm-hmm. um, and figure out the best practices we're not going to necessarily speak about regs because I really want this to be a you know a, a nationwide concept um, but we're going to talk about making sure that you're the families feel just as important and special leaving your community as they did coming in. We're going to Mm. talk about managing people, understanding that behaviors are really forms of communication, how to meet people where they're at in that gray area, how to give your company what they're looking for, because not everybody knows, like not everybody gets those reports in (laughs) and try to decipher what the company is trying to tell you. And if you're struggling ED or um, any other manager inside of a community, then let's go through your expectations and let's figure out a plan to meet them. I have seen where people come give you 25 tasks to do Mm, as a new manager (laughs) and walk out and leave. So they've left you 25 tasks but they haven't given you a plan on how to do that. And they just expect you as a new manager to be able to do that. That's unfair. Yeah, that's unfair. And so I'm the person that wants to say, okay, let's, let's bite this into one step things that we can do, because if you can't see the forest through the trees, you're not going to succeed. And we need you to succeed. Yeah, no, I think it's telling that, you know, that, you bring up this example of here's your list now, good luck with it. You know, I think, you know, some of that I think stems from just this, it goes back to that idea of maybe there's that higher level support that is put in that spot and maybe they haven't gotten the training as well on how to support a community leader. Um, And it really just kind of, how do we create this safe space, if you will, for that communication to happen. Because I think there's a lot of fear when people are new leaders to be able to come out and say, look, I don't understand this. I don't know this. I'm not sure I can be successful without this. And they're worried about what's going to happen. I know as a young leader, I have that problem. I was afraid to ask questions uh, for the fear of being the young guy who was promoted too soon and kind of that fake it till you make it mindset, which you're always going to have a little bit of that, but you got to be prepared and ready for it. And so I think you, you're speaking to a lot of the things that we need um, for our, like new EDs and new managers and directors in the industry. And so yeah. um, one of the things you talk about is you, we talk a little bit about mindset, but you talk about motivation. So what, what are some things that you're doing around motivation that can really help teams come together and, 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 and kind of thrive as they come together. I think motivation for one, when you, when you celebrate the small things, 
I was never good at celebrating the small things. I had the end result in mind and mm -hmm. that's where I was going. And all these little small milestones meant nothing to me. But that is a road to burnout. That is a road that I have lived on <laughs> more than half of my career. And COVID taught me to celebrate the small wins, to celebrate them. And I had so much fun. I have to say it. It was last two years have been very stressful for a lot of different reasons. But when you start celebrating the small things, you start motivating yourself, the small mm -hmm. goals, you start motivating your team. And when you have a party because you grew your occupancy 5% or you're under budget by the goal that was set for you, or you were able to save a resident uh, from moving out and you celebrate those things, guess what? That's a dopamine hit and you yeah. want to keep going. And um, it was a lot of fun. It was just fun. And that's what propelled me um, on the last leg of my journey to go from a 67% occupancy to 100% in a year and a month at pre after COVID. Wow. And the more that you communicate and you tell people what you're doing and you're consistent with doing that and following up and following through, you gain confidence in yourself, your team gains confidence in them. And then it's just like, it just keeps going. It's like a snowball, one small roll at a time and it just keeps growing and your confidence is growing. and you have a coach along the way that tells you stop and celebrate, you know? Yeah. I mean, just the team building aspect of that, I think can be so huge, you know, thinking about how do I bring the chef into this? How do I get my activities and engagement people involved, you know, and celebrating, Hey, all of us had to, to be a part of the win of that 5% occupancy Absolutely. game. Absolutely. Know, and I think a lot of times, you know, the sales and marketing director gets that, using that occupancy example, they're the one that gets the high five and the thumbs up and the reward, and nobody talks about the rest of the team. And so I think that idea of bringing everybody together and celebrating is such a, such a great motivator and makes a ton of sense. And so, yes, and I ate meals every day in the community. And when I came back out from back into the kitchen and I said, this is an excellent lunch. This was an excellent dinner. And you can just see how it lit up their face. And they loved to give me stuff to try. They would literally pull me in the kitchen and say, will you try this? Will you try this? Well, that's because I consistently made an effort to let them know how great things were. Mm -hmm. And I also would be like, mm, a little too much butter in that, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. a little salty. I can see where so-and-so is not going to like that today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It makes me think of a, an interesting question to ask you. So as an executive director, how did you overcome maybe that fear of, I don't know what goes on in the kitchen. There's a lot of things back there that I don't understand. Like, what did you do? to, to overcome that. That's one of the things I find so often is that the EDs are like, well, I never worked in a kitchen. I didn't work in a restaurant, you know, so I don't know how that works. So I'm just going to trust my chef or my director to take care of it. And we both know that that's a recipe for uh, disaster. So how did you come overcome that kind of obstacle that you might've faced? I asked a lot of questions and I stayed in it pretty consistently and, um, you know, I, I never had to cook a meal. I've had to be three managers at one time. Mm -hmm. I never had to cook for, you know, over a hundred residents and associates, which I was very thankful for. 
but I knew how to manage the kitchen to avoid that. I always had my pulse on the schedule. I always Mm -hmm. had my pulse on, did they work too many hours that week? Can I give them another day off? And when we had to order, if my culinary director was out on leave or didn't have one at that time, we did it together. And I learned how to do that. And I also utilized my vendor to kind of come in and teach me things too and use different support systems or people inside the home office. But I always knew who was working, what their hours were, have they worked too much, and just made sure to check in and be like, are you okay? Do you need time off? Do we need to do things like that? And we had this, you know, your standard five-week cycle menu, and you kind of knew what was coming. The key is consistency. That's your superpower to to anything. And asking questions, fear will stop you. I've lived in fear for a long time, especially working in the senior living industry. We all know how brutal that is. Right. Um, but fear can also motivate you. And there just comes a point where the executive director is held responsible. So you just need to know it. So go in there and ask questions. You know? Yeah, no, great advice. So we are right at the end of our time, Erin. So I'd love for you to uh, share how people can connect with you. How can they reach out to you? How can they learn more about Aspire for More with Aaron? Uh, kind of share with us how, how they can do that. Okay. So my website is www.aspireformorewithaaron.com. And my email is Aaron Thompson at aspireformorewithaaron.com. You can hear me on the I Have Fallen and Need Some Help podcast and the new podcast, Aspire for More with Aaron. And Instagram is Aaron underscore Thompson 32. Awesome. Well, Aaron, I loved having you on here today. This conversation, that ED perspective, I think is so important. There's so many of them out there that need to need this kind of support and and having a resource like you is going to be beneficial. So thank you for joining us today here on Tips from Trestle. It was my pleasure. It was exciting. Thank you. So there you have it, another one in the books. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Please follow, like, and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at Tips from Trestle. You can also learn more about the work I do by following me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. And be sure to check out Trestle Hospitality Concepts at www.trestlehospitalityconcepts.com. I'm your host, Aaron Fish, and this has been another episode of Tips from Trestle.